Be good. <laughs> Hello there. This is Andrew. Welcome to Monkey Tooth. I'm here with my wife, Tiffany. And our little sleepy dog, Pele, we're still in California. There's still a pandemic happening. And we are fortunate to be able to talk to some of Tiffany's friends and former co-workers. Today is one of those special people. Her name is Rachel. Uh, she's a hip young lady living in New Orleans and nursing, nursing it up. She's going to tell you what she does, uh, but I'll tell you what she's been doing. She's been helping people in the intensive care unit in a very, very busy scenario. And she is a, um, she's a survivor of COVID. She got that shit and she survived it. She's on the other side of it and back at work and helping people. It's, uh, it's incredible. She's a cool person and is, uh, doing her bit. We talked to her on the telephone, like, uh, the past couple recordings we've made, Sorry about the audio quality. If this is your first time listening to this show, this is not normally what we do, but I do feel like it's important for people to hear the voices of nurses. Um, and I think it's uh, important that we're all very careful in how we behave so that we can uh, keep these nurses safe. Um, I've explained in the last episode, but I'll say it again. My wife is a nurse. My mother's a nurse. I've got nurse friends, doctor friends. I want them to be all right. And uh, I don't know. I just feel like people who listen to this show probably already know all this shit and they're not they're not out making dumb decisions and forcing some crazy uh, shut down the shutdown scenario and trying to hop into a barber's chair right away. But you never know. If you're one of those people, cut it out. Keep listening to the show, of course, but cut that out. Anyhow, we're... Um, we're very fortunate to have the friends we have and to be able to bring you this conversation and very, very fortunate that you take the time to listen to this show. It means a lot. So um, if there's anyone in particular you want to hear from or anyone in particular that you think we should talk to that you know, please send that number to us. Tell them, tell them we want to talk to them. I'm very curious. Uh, for instance, people who work in grocery stores, they're at high risk. I mean, there are people getting sick and dying over this thing, and they're um, you know, delivery drivers. They're uh, they're working in in hardware stores and these places that are open for essential business. I'd be curious to hear some of their their stories. Um, and if you know anybody who has survived this thing or who has it and needs to talk to somebody in their fever dreams or whatever, just give us some numbers, give us some feedback. We're all ears. And hearts and blood and tissue and cells. We love you. I hope you're safe. I hope you're feeling well. And I hope you like this episode with our pal, Rachel. Until next time, adios. Uh, so, hi, everyone. My name is Rachel Adams, and I am a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I work at a large hospital system in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I was a registered nurse in a surgical ICU for four years, 
And then I went to graduate school to become a CRNA um, for the next three years. Then I've been working as a CRNA for eight months at the hospital I'm currently employed at. Um, before I was deployed into the ICU um, at the end of March to treat COVID positive patients. Like most hospitals around the country, all of our elective surgeries were canceled. So the nurse anesthetists were basically put back into the role to be bedside nurses um, within our hospital system. Um, can you just go over what a CRNA does, like what their duties are for people that don't know? Sure. Yeah, like on a normal day, um, we do a preoperative assessment on a patient, and then we are with the patient the entire time they're in a surgical procedure, whether it's something as simple as a colonoscopy to as advanced as like a heart surgery or liver transplant. Um, we put a breathing tube down their throat, and we put IV lines and arterial lines um, to help monitor their hemodynamics and titrate their medications throughout the procedure. And then we wake the patient up in the most important part. <laughs> and we take the tube out and we bring them, um, you know, send them home or send them to the ICU, whichever um, the case may be. That's a normal day for a nurse anesthetist. And how long were you in the ICU before you went to school for uh, CRNA? I worked there for four years in a surgical ICU, which we were getting like the sick of the sick patients. Um, I was lucky enough to be working in the same ICU that I got deployed back into from the COVID ICU, um, for the COVID um, deployment. But for four years, I was there um, as a critical care nurse. Well, uh, they're lucky to have you back. It's a uh, bummer. It's under these crazy circumstances. Um, yeah. So you are one of the few people I know of, um, just because I don't know anybody, but uh, that you've actually had this <laughs> virus. Um, and so you, when, can you tell me that story? Like, when did you get it and what was it like for you? I did. So as soon as we found out we were deployed to the ICU from the OR, uh, from the operating room as CRNAs, um, I had one shift on the unit um, as a critical care nurse. At that point, we were just managing ventilators, titrating medications. Um, I had an N95 mask on, but we weren't um, wearing a full gown and zip up bodysuit like they are now. It was kind of like right when it started. So this was the end of March. Um, I worked on a Sunday. I went home, and I didn't have work again because we did 12-hour shifts. I didn't work again until that Thursday. Um, but by Tuesday, I was feeling off, very tired um, and achy. And so I went to sleep, and on that Wednesday, I woke up, and I was running a fever, sleeping, which... I'm normally a very much a morning person, but I could not like stop sleeping. And so I went to our hospital's urgent care and I was like, test me for the flu. I think that I have the flu. I definitely felt like I had the flu. It would hurt to brush my hair. It hurt to get dressed. And so they tested me for the flu. They said the flu is negative. So I was like, okay, I guess test me for COVID. I did not think I had it. I had only been there on one day and I had an N95 mask on the whole time. 
Um, so they tested me, and a few days later, it came back positive. Um, within, like, I would say three to four days after that, I developed a cough and just overall achiness and weakness the whole time. But my symptoms lasted. I, I had a pretty mild form of the virus compared to what I've seen in the ICU since then. Um, but I, my symptoms lasted for 17 days. 17 days I was out of work. Uh, thankfully, my hospital, like, compensated me. But um, my normal hours that I would have been working, considering I might have caught the virus at the hospital, I guess. Um, but, yeah, that was pretty much all the sense. Eventually, the cough just resolved, and then now I feel 100% normal. And... Yeah, you're good now. If you don't mind my asking, how old a lady are you? Um, I'm 29 years old. And no other, co- I don't have asthma or any other like lung issues, which I think I've like made it worse for a lot of young, healthy people like me. If you have like asthma or other respiratory conditions, I don't smoke. Um, so I think things like that helped me and definitely worked in my favor. Because some of the patients I've seen in the ICU have had a lot of those comorbidities. Um, so I'm thankful I didn't get very aggressive form of the virus. Yeah. So what did you do at home to keep yourself together? Like, how did you, what did you do to get over it? Um, so I just rested. Um, I drank a lot of water and stayed hydrated. And I didn't push myself too hard. It was kind of easy because I was quarantined, so I couldn't go anywhere, but I wouldn't recommend going anywhere. I mean, just, like, taking a shower made me out of breath. Um, but it was really just rest for, and rest and hydration that did it for me. So no fancy treatments, no crazy medicines, no, like, uh, Indian sweat no, lodge. Um, I've, I've heard of outpatients getting, like, Plaquenil and Azithromycin, and we give those to our COVID positive patients in the ICU. Um, but our urgent care at the facility I work at said that they do not recommend it for healthy people undergoing this virus. So I didn't push to take that. I guess if it, my symptoms would have gotten more severe, maybe I would have asked for it. But um, I did take Tylenol. That was my savior because the, the fever and the aches were horrible. Um, so the Tylenol really saved me. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, the, the, that is the thing that is getting people through this, you know? There's no, like, yeah. modern thing to get. And I was get. thankful to have it at yeah. my house because, um, like, CVS and our local grocery stores were all completely sold out. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. I wonder, like, post-Mardi Gras, how much... Tylenol and shit like that sells out anyway, just because people are so hungover. It was like uh, this weird, yeah. weird storm of of hangover, normal flu season, and then a horrible pandemic all descended on that town. Unreal. Yes, and I definitely participated in Mardi Gras. So just because I worked one day on the COVID unit, I still think I could have gotten it during Mardi Gras and been asymptomatic. Yeah. I don't know. Wow. So um, let's talk about work. Um, h- how is it for you right now? Are you uh, are you still slammed, still in the weeds there? Um, it's 
lightening up a little bit. So um, after the huge influx of patients um, into Louisiana and specifically New Orleans um, started, all of we have um, 80 registered nurse anesthetists um, that work at our hospital, and we were all deployed to um, the ICU, minus a few, because they still were doing emergent surgeries and things like that. But uh, so after starting in the ICU, they opened, We our hospital had three ICUs originally, and they opened two more, just COVID-positive patients, and those were 34 patients per ICU, so like 68 more open ICU beds. Uh, and however, since then, they have condensed down. Now Louisiana has sort of plateaued, and they've condensed down the number of ICUs. As of this week, CRNAs are now out of the ICU. So it's about a month and a half of um, taking care of the COVID-positive patients in the ICU. Now they have enough travel nurses and um, registered nurse staff that it, since they're starting elective procedures, um, me as a certified registered nurse anesthetist, I'm going to go back to the OR this following week. Wow. So kind of been, it's been a roller coaster ride. We've been in the ICU. Now we're all out of the ICU and things are starting to mellow out finally. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's some good, good news. I'm glad to hear you're, uh, you're going to be going back to your normal job. The thing you went to school and studied and worked so hard to do. It's kind of um, yeah. incredible that you ended up right back into the <laughs> into the ICU. Uh, can you yes, talk? Yes, I talk, never thought that would happen. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. God, it'd be like getting your law degree and then suddenly having to go back and bartend or something like that. You know? <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, well, so can you tell me a little bit about what it was like for you on the floor? Like, um, I mean, I know you've. That ICU in particular where you work um, is not an easy ICU. Like you said, you get the sick, sickest of the sick, um, and it's normally a difficult place to, to work, uh, challenging. What was it like? And, and you were only COVID-positive patients, right? So, like, did you have enough shit? Were you, like, supplied adequately? Did you have, you know, masks and stuff? And then you know, were there... Uh, what was your experience like on the floor with, with all these, you know, just multitudes of patients? Yeah. Um, so it was a contaminated unit that I worked on. Um, meaning whenever you came on to your shift, our break room was like out in the waiting room and we had to put on a full bodysuit that zipped up, put on gloves. And that was essentially like the gloves were your hands for the entire, for the entire shift, which was a 12-hour shift. You could not take water or food onto the unit, and you had to double glove if you were to go into the room, put your N95 mask and um, hat and a face shield on whenever you went into the room. But the um, it, uh, it did allow us, since it was a contaminated unit, to be free to go in and out of our patients' rooms as much as needed and not waste as much PPE, like uh, personal protective equipment because I think our hospital was worried about how bad it was going to get. So we did have enough supplies for the um, personal protective equipment. However, we were sort of rationing it because we didn't know how bad it was going to get either. As employees, we were like, well, we don't want to use it all up if this is going to keep going at this fast of a pace. We always had N95 masks, but 
we were definitely reusing them. You had to use one for the whole shift. If you wanted a new one, you had to, like, prove it was contaminated. Um, and we were attempting to not throw away things as much and as frequently as we usually would because we didn't know how bad it was going to get. Um, but once we were on the unit, most of the patients were, they looked all very, very similar. Like, everyone had the major problem with respiratory Um Patients would be like have low oxygen saturations and they'd be on six liters per minute of oxygen through their nose on a nasal cannula talking to us. And then they'd need to be intubated within minutes. It was a very fast progression of like how bad patients got so quickly. After that, um, we would treat them sort of the way we treat patients. Like if they have acute respiratory distress syndrome, uh, where you don't want to give them too much fluid and, we keep them very sedated. We would even paralyze patients if it got too bad. Um, and then we would also prone them. So we would put them on their stomachs. Um, and that, uh, as a nurse anesthetist, that was something that we are very comfortable doing. We do that all the time to put patients on their stomachs for, like, surgeries or back surgeries or anything like that. So we helped out a lot on that aspect of things in the ICU. Um and these patients, they just, they either, we saw a bunch of discharges. We did see patients going to the floor and patients getting better, but we also, I'd say 50% getting better, 50% not making it. There were many patients we saw pass away. And the worst part about the contaminated unit, because it was a contaminated unit, no visitors could were allowed at all. So these patients were dying alone which I thought was the saddest part. And we had we did have some nurses, like, FaceTiming the families and stuff, which was sweet, and it helped them cope a little bit more. But I can't imagine. 50%. Holy shit. Like, I, I, I cannot even imagine. Like, I mean, in a normal ICU, it's I imagine it's kind of hard to even keep hold of what that number would be, you know, like, you wouldn't think of it, well, X number percentage of our patients don't make it. I mean, right. can you give me a sense of like, and I hate to be like comparing things, but just um, to help people understand, like normally in an ICU, I mean, are you seeing, I mean, you're seeing death fairly regularly, but I mean, every day? Would you say no. every day? No. I it's mean, like a, normally in the ICU, it's such a faster, especially, well, I'm a little biased because I worked in a surgical ICU, but, you know, you would see patients super sick with a breathing tube and on all this sedation, and two days later, they'd be walking in the hallway, progressing, getting better. Um, With this virus, people just aren't progressing like you would expect them to. We're doing everything to support them and to improve their lung function, and it's, like, not improving. The only thing that did help some patients with just time, just giving them time. Like on a normal basis, I mean, I guess maybe one patient on the unit might pass away um, and it might be expected, you know, one in 24 hours or maybe two in 24 hours. This was like six or seven per shift. Mm. So like, you know, 14 per day. It was just, oh it was a lot. Um And I know that in the New Orleans area, the hospital I worked at was like sort of the hub for where the COVID positive patients would go to. 
since we had so many ventilators, ventilators was never a problem. We had um, a lot of resources to use on these patients, which I'm thankful for. But it was definitely an eye-opening experience seeing just the mass. It's kind of like a mass casualty event that's been going on. Thankfully, it's been getting a little better and progressing. Um, But for a while, it was every single day, like very high numbers of deaths. When you're saying it's it's getting better, are you seeing like open beds or, or you know, is it? Yes. So oh, um, there are more open beds and they've condensed the number of ICUs now. They actually shut down one of the COVID positive ICUs, which was 34 beds. So that's a huge yeah, that's deal. Great. Um, my hospital released the information this week that we have had 1500 discharges of covid positive patients that have been able to like leave the hospital so i don't see them pass the icu but i guess somewhere they've progressed and done well um and now that the crnas are deployed back into the or things are starting to sort of normalize um our surgical icu is back to being a surgical icu does not have any COVID positive patients. So that leaves two COVID positive ICU floors, which compared to the five before, that's yeah. a big and it's, difference. It's still a lot, you know, to have two of anything, you know, that you've for years on end, you yeah. don't have like special ICUs for this. Uh, let me let me ask you this. Those medicines that you mentioned earlier, the hydroxy, what's her head and placa, the same thing, what, what's the it called? Plaquenil and azithromycin. Yeah, are, how common is that? to give as a treatment to patients? Um, like in the ICU? We never give um, Plaquenil. It's a thermicin sometimes, the antiviral, mm-hmm. but the Plaquenil is normally used for like malaria. It is a very uncommon treatment. We don't know the effectiveness of it, but we have been giving it just as sort of a last-ditch effort, I, I feel. Okay, okay. Wow. Um, how... If you don't mind going a little personal, how um, how's your heart and your head? Are, are are people getting like support therapy? I mean, that's a lot of suffering and death and pain to to be sort of sitting with on a daily basis. Have you um, do you know of support therapy for you guys for the staff? Um, have you reached out for that sort of thing or? Yeah, um, they have some, like, wellness groups that are helping around the hospital just to do, like, meditation and just to have a support system since we can't really see our families right now. And we're more quarantined than the normal people. We don't even want to see our, like, significant others and kids, people who have kids and things like that. But the um, community has been very supportive, like, Literally for every meal in the ICU, there is there are people that donate money to local restaurants to help support their local restaurants. And I don't even bring a lunch to my 12-hour shift because I know that there's going to be a meal there. Wow. Um, and then the hospital itself gives meal tickets each shift. So that's a little bit of a relief financially and just um, for us to not have to stress about having a meal um, during this shift and bringing a contaminated lunchbox home and all that stuff yeah um within our our department uh, we have like conference calls two to three times a week it's a very fluid situation so we're made aware of all the changes every day 
our schedules updated on a day-to-day basis to see when we're going to be working next. Um, and now the most recent thing that they're doing for our staff is um, we're providing, we're getting antibody testing to see if we, even those, so I had, I was positive um, for COVID-19, but a lot of my coworkers were not, and they never had symptoms, um, but they're able to get antibody testing to see if they're safe to sort of go out into the world now because yeah. they may have gained immunity and they may have been exposed without knowing. So our hospital's offering antibody testing, like starting actually today um, until like May 1st, so that we can see if we have had exposure without knowing. Are they going to be donating plasma after? Is that part of the deal? They haven't started that, but I would like to do that, especially knowing that I was positive. Um, I feel like the only place I've known about that's doing that is Mount Sinai, but... Hmm. I'm hoping since the hospital I work at is a large facility that they start that soon because I don't know. The treatments we've seen are very slow if they are helping the patient, and I've heard that that one could potentially improve outcomes. I like the idea of that, um, specifically plasma from nurses, because you guys have had to see 50% morbidity. I mean, just that's crazy, you know, and to be able to, like, give back a little bit through your own blood in a way to help people get over this virus. It's kind of like yeah, poetic justice in a way, you know, because you've worked so hard to save people and can't imagine what it's like to, to not be able to, to bring somebody home. God, I just, yeah. Um, I have a, a, a dumb guy question. I mean, not to <laughs> suggest that the rest of them haven't been, but this one is particularly so, um, so I'm just picturing, I kind of like right now. I kind of have to pee a little bit, uh, which is normal for me. I kind of, you know, so many of the moments in my life are accompanied by the urge to pee. But when you're in a contaminated <laughs> unit and you're wearing a Ziploc suit, like how? Like I, sometimes I get out of the car. I'm like, okay, sanitizer, wipe this. That thing's dirty, and I keep like this weird circle of contagion and contamination. How do you sort out like? getting your suit off to pee and then back on and do you just have to hold it for 12 hours? Like what, how's this work? Yeah. Well, that's such a good question because that was a struggle. Um, you actually have to, whenever you put the, um, the gear on, you're called donning your PPE. And then when you take it off, it's called doffing. So you literally had to doff your PPE every single time you had to use the bathroom uh, so I would hold it as long as possible because you can't leave your patients very long because they need you and you're busy, you know, titrating vasoactive infusion. Um, but we had to get a buddy. So we grabbed one of our coworkers. They helped us, like, take everything off. You oh have gosh. to go into the non-sterile environment and then use the bathroom. Or if you were to eat lunch, you, you do the same thing. And then whenever you come back, you put it all back on. So it's such a hassle. You literally hold it as long as you possibly could. Oh I would try to go like six hours, eat lunch, use the bathroom, and then go another six hours and then use the bathroom when I left. Wow. <laughs> it was a struggle. That's crazy. What about, um, what about your family? When, when I know you're really close with your people, uh, and that's just a thing in, in your culture in Louisiana and New Orleans. Like family is important and people are close to one another when do you think it's going to be safe for everybody to kind of connect again yeah 
I don't know. I feel like it's so unknown. I'm um, just rather be safe than sorry. Mm-hmm. Like I'm kind of just waiting until things settle down. Um, especially working in that unit, it made me very nervous um, because I've already tested positive and I feel that I'm totally over the virus. Um, I feel like I'm sort of counting like 30 days since the start of my symptoms because they say you can shed the virus for 30 days. So Whoa. I haven't reached that mark yet, so I haven't seen my family yet. Um, but it is very hard and it it's hard, especially feeling good and feeling like, okay, they're fine, I'm fine, but you don't know um, what's dormant on some of your clothes or metal surfaces and all that stuff you've hear, heard about. Yeah. Um, so I'm waiting as long as possible. Mm. Now that I'm outside of the unit, it still doesn't really change my perspective on that because I guess everything's just so unknown. So, but 30 days is what I'm going by. After I've reached 30 days since being symptom free, and I want to wait and get the antibody testing before I see them to right. make sure I have antibodies to the virus. Yeah. Because they're thinking if you have antibodies, then even if you're exposed to the virus again um, or have more viral load um, in the air, it's not going to be transmitted to people. Wow. Well, is there anything that you want to to share? Is there something I have left on the table or is there like a message you'd want to tell everyone out there in the world? Um. No, I just, I feel like it's been great to see the world come together as people are staying apart. And um, I think everyone should just try to do their part as little as it may seem, as annoying as it may seem to just stay home and, you know, do what you can. Cool. It's Tiff. Thanks, Rach. Thanks, Tiff. Thanks for sharing your story and taking the time to talk to us and for being there for all of the sick people who needed you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been great to be back in the ICU and as horrible as the circumstances are, it brought me back to my roots of, you know, just patient care is the most important thing. Even if I'm in the operating room or in the ICU, it's all just making the patient the number one priority. You're very good at it. Yeah, Thank I would. You. I would definitely be comforted. I've always joked with Tiffany that I would never want to go because all the stories I hear you guys tell when you're like drinking, hanging out about the ICU and about nursing. I'm like, just if I if I end up even just in the ambulance on the way to the ICU, just go ahead and put me down before I get there. <laughs> but to be honest, if yes. I ended up in the ICU and you were my nurse, or if you're about to do a surgery and you were my anesthetist nurse anesthetist, I would feel somewhat comforted and uh, just barely regret that I hadn't been put down or euthanized on the ride over. <laughs> barely. Just, yeah. I would, Thank I would, you. That I would, makes me feel good. I would regret not having been euthanized just a little bit less if I saw you there. So <laughs> that's. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I had a moment of weakness in between um, working on the COVID unit and um, being off for a few days where I said, you know what, I'm going to go to my parents' house for a few days and lay out by the pool and have a great time. And they said, do you want your parents to be on this unit? And I was like, no, mm-hmm. they're like, don't go to your parents' house. Yeah. So that um, little bit of time on that unit has inspired me to, yeah, not to take, to take it seriously, not socialize with other people right now. Yeah. Well, there's, there's time for it. New Orleans will find a way to socialize again. So, uh, we're we're grateful for you. Thank you so much for for everything you're doing. 
and uh, good luck out there. All right. Thank you all. Thanks, Ray. Bye.